Welcome to New Life Baptist Preaching, where we grow in relationship, we grow in discipleship, and we grow in Jesus Christ. In this series, we enter a study of the letter to the Hebrews. In this study, we see how Jesus is better. He is the better revelation. He is the better priest. He is the better sacrificed. He is the better king. He brings the better covenant. So we hope that you join us as we grow together and learn more of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Subscribe so that you don't miss a single Lord's Day sermon. We have been discussing this eternal rest of God. Last week, what it meant to enter into the rest of God. And and we have had a profound focus on one person. If someone were to ask you, let's see if this has stuck. If someone were to ask you, what is the theme of this book of Hebrews? What would you tell them? Jesus is better. Can you say that together? Jesus is better. I want you to get it, and it's for good reason. It's the care of a pastor to come before you and to shepherd. Well, that entails a lot of things. If you're one who ever has played the role of a shepherd or tended a flock, you know that involves laying good and wholesome nutritious fodder before the flock. You know that that is goading the ones who don't respect the boundaries or the fence. You know that is leading the one in the way they should go or leading them to the, to the good or the, to the safe places. You know that is tending them, rubbing them, assessing them, noticing their coat and, and, and seeing if there are parasites or anything unhealthy in them and treating them uh, appropriately Uh, at the earliest uh, onslaught of such sickness. And so this morning, I will come as as a bit of that to you. I hope that you receive the teaching in Hebrews as this pastoral advice, this letter from a pastor, one who's seeking to shape our theology, our practice, our souls, Uh, that's going to guard us and and give us the the strong foundation that's going to prevent sickness, that's going to help our study and and provoke our growth as a church and as Christians. And so I hope that you receive that word from the writer of Hebrews, that you receive that word from me and from our brother Chris as he does the same thing when he enters into the pulpit to, to pray or Chad when he comes to fill in, and uh, and so this morning I hope that you receive that. And I say that, and I lay that that word of caution because this morning we're we're going to do a bit of study. I'm going to ask you to dive into the text. We're going to look at a few more passages. Uh, there are days where we have before us uh, enough of preaching, and there are days where we need to go to the word to put together this grand biblical theology that the writer of Hebrews is sewing together. This morning is such a morning. And yet, you should be rejuvenated as this morning we study 
more about this rest and what that rest looks like. Christian, as a Christian, you are called to rest from your works. What peace does this bring your soul? Even as we consider our celebration during a holiday season, surely you are one who needs and longs for rest. So I invite you to stand as we read from Hebrews 4, verses 6 through 10 together. Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 6. Now you'll notice... Or I just want to give clarity. I'm reading from a translation different than I normally do. This, this that I'm utilizing this morning is an English Standard Version. And I'll explain why uh, here in a bit. Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, speaking of the rest... And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we entrust ourselves to you this morning. Lord, we ask that you would reveal yourself in your word, through your Son, the one through whom you've spoken in these last days. Lord, let Christ be our focus this morning. Let Him be the one who is glorified, the one who is your Word incarnate. Lord, let us be subject to Him as your Word, and your Word as it's preserved for us in these holy Scriptures. Lord, we pray that you would bring us to the place where we can rest fully in the completed work of Jesus Christ. Lord, that our message would be made clear, that you would educate us and give us wisdom where we lack it, that we might preach this gospel to others while there is yet time before your return. Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to keep your Bibles open this morning and hold your thumb on our text because we will visit a few, uh, though I will cite the text that I hope to visit. The first thing I want you to notice, we're picking up in this discussion of rest. We know, if you've been here in the past few Sundays, we know that the writer of Hebrews is quoting a passage in Psalm 95 that David gives to the congregation of Israel, and he's actually retelling and, and quoting himself and his sermon that he's giving uh, the events and the preaching that occurred in Exodus 17. 
okay, which are words of Moses and, and they're in preparation as Joshua is going to lead Israel into the land of Canaan. So he's assessing all of this and he's, he's continuing to preach that, that same text of Psalm 95, if you will, but he talks about all, all these things. He's, he's already pointed us to this entering into the promised land, the way David is preaching that again to the people of Israel. And, and he himself, is the, this apostle of Jesus Christ, is preaching this to, to the Hebrews in our letter for circulation that it might be preached again by pastors like me before congregations like you. And he says in verse 6, it remains for some to enter in, enter into this rest. And those who formerly received the good news didn't enter by disobedience. What you're seeing is a familiar invitation. What you're seeing is that the invitation given to us is the same invitation that was given to Israel. You can be certain that there is no new salvation being offered in this declaration, nor in the coming of Christ Jesus. Are you tracking with me? There was an invitation that was preached to Israel just prior to their coming into the land of Canaan, after being redeemed out of the land of Egypt. That same message was preached, that same invitation was given by David to the people of Israel near the end of his life. That same message was preached again to the Hebrews as this apostle of Jesus Christ writes to the Hebrew people as he prepares them and calls them to accept this Christ Jesus who has been born and even resurrected at this point. And that is the same message and the same invitation that's given today whenever I preach to you, the congregation, the gathering of New Life Baptist that is preparing you to go therefore and give an invitation to those people in your workplace. It's a familiar invitation. Now I want you just to consider those events that surround the coming of Christ. We've been speaking of Christ this entire time of one man. The, the message of Hebrews is what? Jesus is better. We've been speaking of one man, so let's just look at this one man. Let's consider those events that surrounded the coming of this God-man, Jesus Christ. In Luke, the priest, Zechariah, was busy fulfilling his office after the order of the priesthood of Aaron. He was a priest after this Old Testament order of the priesthood of Aaron. It is in this Old Testament rite that he receives news that he himself will bear a son. This is John, the promise of the coming of John the Baptist. You could read in Luke 1, and if you're wanting to take notes, just jot these down. Luke 1, 16 through 17. And he, 
speaking of this son that Zechariah will bear through his uh, barren wife, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is a prophecy. The first time God spoke to a prophet in 400 years, he comes to a priest of the people of Israel who's ministering in the temple of the Jewish sacrifice. And he says, you're going to bring forth a son who's going to prepare a way for the Messiah to draw their hearts of the people of Israel to himself. The same was told long before in Malachi, that 400 years earlier, uh, through one of Israel's prophets, Malachi. In Malachi 3.1, you would read, Behold, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight See, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. That was a message to who? Israel. It was a message to Israel. And yet it's being preached this morning. It's being preached by the author of Hebrews. It's the same invitation, the same message. He's drawing you together. Even the writer Luke himself writing this, you would read again in Malachi 4, 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Elijah has come and gone. And yet we're told in Malachi, we're going to receive one that's like Elijah. We're going to see, receive this new sort of Elijah. Elijah has given us a picture of the one who's coming again. And that's the self-same one that, is, that Zechariah is told, you're going to receive this son. He's the one Malachi spoke about. The last time I spoke through men is the same one that I'm speaking to you about. It is a familiar story, a familiar invitation. This was further confirmed by Christ Himself in Matthew 11, verses 13 through 15. For all the prophets and the law prophesied, all of them, until who, He says? Until John not an Old Testament prophet. He's talking about John the Baptist. And if you're willing to accept it, he says in Christ's own words, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Our Lord and Savior himself has interpreted these events the way that Luke did, the way that the, uh, the apostle of Christ, this writer of Hebrews did, the way that David did whenever he preached this, the way that I would argue Moses and Aaron did is they longed and they sought diligently for who 
What man and manner was this in which this word of God would be fulfilled? What's more, friends, we see this grand invitation, not just to John, but this grand invitation to this rest, this promise, this complete and ultimate fulfillment of what God has been telling us for all of these years and ages. We would behold that Christ, the Christ child is born in Bethlehem, the city of David, the archaeological location of the temples of Solomon and Herod that was told to the shepherds in the field in Luke 2.11. And then we have this account on the day of His purification concerning Christ Jesus in Luke 2. You can make this note, Luke 2, 25 through 32. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That is this Messiah that was promised. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said with this song, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. Friends, this is the Savior who God has sent. This is the Savior of Israel. He is the Savior of the world for all who believe. There's no other way there's no other invitation. There are not separate invitations throughout history. There is one invitation that God in His grace has extended to us. And it's, in His long suffering, He's continued. He's told it again, not just through Moses and Joshua, not just, not just through David and the Psalm, not just through the author of Hebrews. But now, the Christ we serve is the one who saves all of Israel who believe in Him. Sadly, this is the one whom Israel has rejected. Our text says what we read together this morning. Those who formerly received the good news, that good news that we're called to preach, that we receive, that, that we see is the gospel, they receive this good news, they failed to enter because of their 
disobedience. They did not receive the rest because they did not receive him. So this gospel, this good news, it's been extended to you. It's gone out to all of the world. What we're talking about, friends, is this ever-present gospel. What does the word gospel mean? Good news. The apostle writes in Hebrews and emphasizes the words of Psalm 95, these words of David, which were first conveyed to Israel in Exodus 17, Today, if you should hear his voice, harden not your hearts. That's why he repeats himself. Today, if you look through Hebrews, look how often this passage is repeated. Today, while it is yet today, today, if you hear his voice, why is he saying today? How could David say today? We spent time talking about how the New Testament interprets the Old Testament and yet we have to reconcile the way that the Old Testament interprets the Old Testament. God in His Word through His servant David said today in a present tense the way that Moses said it in a present tense back then. And it's the same present tense that Hebrews extends to us the way David used it of of Exodus and the way that I'm using it for you today. It's the reason I can say today, friend, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Why can I say it? Why can I give the same invitation? It's because... The Word of God is showing us the invitation would be extended into the future for both a lasting promise that could be offered even to us and our children among the Gentiles, but also a day of finality where the promise was fulfilled in His coming. You see, that invitation has been extended to Israel earlier in the coming into the land of Canaan, to Israel near the end of the life of David, and then now to the Hebrews again who are dispersed throughout all of the lands. We've read in our study of Hebrews because now the Christ has come. All of this is being fulfilled. It is here. Okay, the good news is here. It is fresh. It is present. It is effective. It is free. It is now, but it is not forever. The day comes quickly where he will return. Not like a babe of the scriptures that I read in Luke, but in his power and authority to judge the living and the dead. The writer stresses this point in the following verses showing today, this day that points to this event that does occur that looks forward to a point of culmination that the writer of Hebrews argues comes in this one, Jesus Christ. 
If you would look again to verses 8 through 10, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Whoever has entered this rest has rested from his works. You see, there is a foreshadow of Christ. Now this is the point for a brief but necessary excursus. This is a point where we may vary in some of what we read together. If you're reading from a King James as I typically do uh, from the pulpit, then you would have seen the text read if Jesus had given them a rest. That's the way that it reads. Now, the reason for that is not due to any sort of confusion uh, concerning the persons of which the writer was speaking. I would argue it is not due to any fallacy in the text uh, that, that you're reading. It, it's just fine. Any misunderstanding in this relies purely on the ignorance of the reader. Every classical resource and commentator throughout history understands and knows and cites this one as the one Joshua who would go to lead them in to the promised land. If you did not know this, Jesus is the Greek rendering of the Hebrew name Joshua. In other words, the Greek Old Testament would have translated Joshua's name in Exodus 17 as Jesus, or more properly, Jesus. It should have been more like Yeshua in the Hebrew. This provides for two areas of instruction. If you are one who's unfamiliar with these sort of dynamics of language or name uses, please find a Bible that you understand. Because I want to tell you something. This is something popular on social media. That they use this rendering, Jesus, in order to try to discredit the Bible and confuse people who refuse to study their Bibles. Which frankly is the vast majority of people who sit in church on Sundays. There is no confusion in this text. It's for that reason that I read from an English Standard Version just so that I didn't render confusion in my initial reading of the text. But what your text, what even the King James Version is referring to is that one in Exodus 17, the passage that he knows David is quoting from. So no fault, no fault there. There is fault in our, in our ignorance. Second, this reality should leave no doubt that Joshua under the Old Covenant was a picture or type who foreshadowed the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My goodness, they bore the same name. He led the people Israel into the promised land, yet it was not a lasting rest which was ultimately promised to God's people eternally. Look at your Bibles this morning. 
If Joshua, this is the one in Exodus 17, had accomplished a lasting rest, if he had led them into the land of Canaan and that was the end of the matter, then it wasn't a lasting rest. If Joshua had accomplished the lasting rest which was promised of God, David would have been wronged to speak to Israel about a coming rest inciting that text. Do you understand that? If that promised land of Canaan was the fulfillment, if it is the fulfillment, then your Bible is wrong this morning. Otherwise, David would, would have been wrong in his citation of that passage, citing Exodus 17 in Psalm 95. For that matter, if that land was the ultimate fulfillment, then the writer of Hebrews would be wrong for preaching that message, this invitation of rest, using the, the passage in Psalm 95, which quotes the passage in Exodus 17, he would be completely wrong. He wouldn't understand the word. And to push that further, I would be wrong to speak to you of some coming rest. I would not be able to preach that you can put your trust in Jesus and he promises a rest. If... The land of Canaan is where that rest resides. Friend, what you must understand this morning is that Jesus is better. He has brought in a covenant and a fulfillment of everything that has been promised from the beginning of time until now. It comes to us through Jesus Christ. If we give ear to those who separate the salvation of Israel and the salvation that has been extended to us, we obliterate the gospel. We diminish the grace of God and we extinguish the glory of Christ. He has accomplished His task fully in the redemption of His people under the old covenant and new. It's Christ Jesus. Listen, I've come to you this morning to preach to you Christ. The author of Hebrews is preaching to you Christ. Paul said, I decided to know nothing among you except for Christ. These are men who were sent first to the Jews. Who did they preach? Christ. If you would sit with me through the course of the rest of this day, I would argue to you it is who David preached was Christ. I would argue it was who Moses preached and who Joshua preached was Christ. Open your eyes. Read your Bibles. It's in your own word this morning. If that was the rest, if he had accomplished it, but he did not, there remains a rest, he says. Because if he had given a rest, then God, God who has spoken in his word through David, through Hebrew, you see, if what I'm saying is true, if Jesus is the fulfillment of all things, if, 
if what I'm saying is true, that he's become all in all, he's the one that brings the complete fulfillment to Exodus 17, to Psalm 95, to Hebrews 4, and, and to this very message this morning, that means your Bible is true. It has stood true. No one's ever been confused about this. It is, it is something you can rest in. It means that I can still preach the message that while it is yet called today, God has brought the same invitation by the same name of Jesus Christ. And it is who the one that whenever that God man returns in his power and authority, every knee will bow and tongues will confess Jew and Gentile that this is the Christ, the Lord. Quit separating it. You will know the fulfillment of the promise granted in Christ Jesus our Lord in this way. The writer says, you will rest. You will rest from your works as God has rested from His works in creation. You will no longer have to pick yourselves up by your bootstraps in order to enter the kingdom of God. The war which rages hot outside the gates will not depend on your own valor so that you might enter in. Christ, our champion, has given all who believe rest in Him. There are people who are still slaying goats and doves and bringing them to an altar that God does not honor. There are people who are lifting prayers that God will not hear because they do not come in this name of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. How many have been contented to give a message or to let others wallow in their despair of their own works so long as they don't have to mention the name of Christ. The Word tells us you rest. It does not mean that we do not work for God's glory and our enjoyment in Him. It does not mean that we do not labor to extinguish the grotesque remnants of sin that remains in our hearts. It does not mean that we do not pursue greater faithfulness in our obedience to that law, not as a checklist for salvation, but a rule of life that we love. But the fact remains, Christian, the work of God and Jesus Christ is finished. The work of God in Christ is sufficient. There is no imperfection or incompleteness in what He has done. You can come to Him now for salvation. You can come to Him now for a means of greater sanctification. You can turn to Him now to know uh, and sustain you in your current moment of grief. Christ is sufficient. He has become all in all. This is 
the Christ. This is the Messiah that Isaiah, that, that Micah, that Malachi said was the Emmanuel, God with us. He is the Son who is preached to us in this last days. He is the Word of God expressed in the Scriptures. He is the Christ who saves us. The Son we celebrate this jovial season. What if you come to minister to a Jew? You preach the name of Christ. What if you come to minister to a Muslim? You preach the name of Christ. What if you come to preach to an atheist or a, or a humanist or some other secularist of some sort? You preach the name of Christ. What if you preach to the self-righteous Pharisee or the, or the one who attends, attends church every Sunday and trusts in their own good works? You preach the name of Christ. You rest. Listen to this glorious truth. Whoever has entered God's rest has rested from His works the way God has rested from His. Friends, you can have rest this morning. I know this because this has been told me from millennia ago. We've got every picture under the old covenant that, that unfolds that grand covenant of grace that's shown to us in the face of Jesus Christ our Lord who has sealed this covenant with His own blood. Don't despise the name of Christ. Every soul will be saved by only this one name. This week I've had time reading the martyrdom of Polycarp. And I'm reminded of his words at the hour of his persecution, whenever he's, he's demanded, renounce him, renounce him, repent, swear off these atheist Christians who deny our gods and to a coliseum filled of people who cheered for his blood, he shook his fist and he said, away with you atheists. And he says this, for 86 years I have served him and he has never abandoned me. How can I curse my King and my Savior? Do you hail the name of Christ this way? It's only in that name that you have rest this season. That, that you are sanctified, that you have hope, that you have peace, that you might have joy. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come to You in that one beloved name that's above every name that is so sweet to us. God, we ask that in Christ Jesus You would draw us near, Lord, that we would never have a conversation regarding Your Word, regarding Your people that does not culminate in this glorious name that You have put among men that it might be praised, that it might be preached. Lord, you have labored long. 
and the glorification of your Son. Lord, we sense that the hour of your return is, is near. Lord, we look for you. As every era has done before us, as Lord, we even read of the heart of, of Simeon who looked for your coming. Lord, we look for your coming. And Lord, we only pray for the glory of one name today. While it is yet called today, we have the name of Christ on the forefront of our minds, at the depth of our hearts. Lord, upon our lips, we pray would motivate the work of our hands. It is in Christ Jesus we pray and rest. Amen. Thank you for joining us in New Life Baptist Preaching. We hope that you join us each Lord's Day in this study of the letter of Hebrews where we learn Jesus is better. Remember to subscribe so that you don't miss any sermons.